The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Reverend Werner Ramirez in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's Reverend Werner Ramirez. So, April and baby are due on Friday, um, and I'm here. Um, I, I got a call in August from Scott and said, we're doing the series on awe and wonder. Can you do a sermon about children? And I said, I got you. And he said, how do you feel about doing it on October 29th? And I said, that's risky, but I'm willing to do it. He goes, we'll have Jonah on standby. So I don't know who was more nervous this week, whether it was Jonah or me. Um, <laughs> But, but it, is, it is a privilege to worship with you all today. Um, before I, I go, I, I start, I'm taking parental leave in two blocks and I start the first one tomorrow. Um, but I wanna say thank you to you, the congregation. Um, the amount of support and prayers um, and comments that you have given April and me has really touched our hearts. Um, it'll be part of the story that we tell um, our son um, about the way that Fifth Avenue loved us. So thank you. Um, will you please join me in prayer? Holy God, God of fun, God of play, may you speak to our hearts, to our minds, and to our souls. In your name we pray, amen. A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 8. Our Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have found a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? And from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child who he put among them and said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. About two weeks ago, April and I met with our doula to talk about postpartum care. And we talked about things that I expected we would talk about, such as how to care for a future child, tips on how to take shifts to make sure we get maybe some sleep. But then she asked a question that caught me off guard. She said, what do you find joy in? And I struggled to answer, not because I don't find joy easily, but like I said, I was caught off guard. I thought we were there to talk about caring for the baby. And then it was clear to me that we were starting to transition to talk about mental health. And since she saw that I was, again, caught off guard, she rephrased the question. She said, what hobbies do you have? And I quickly said, my hobbies are beer and soccer. <laughs> for those of you who know me, or if you have been to a hops and him event here at the church, you know that I have a theological hot take on the theology of beer. Now that's a whole different sermon, but I love learning the story behind how beer is made. 
I love how intergenerational amongst adults the beer community can be. I love talking to brewmasters and hearing them talk about their creation like works of art, and then talking to other beer nerds and delighting in the creation of it all. It's fun for me. I also told Ardula that I love watching soccer, but it was hard because my LA Galaxy would not be in the playoffs this year. Now, even when my team is terrible, I think I love watching because for some reason there is always hope. There's hope that there may be an astonishing comeback even when there isn't. Yes, there are trials in sports, but then there are moments of just pure bliss. When the goal and stoppage time happens and you lose all control of yourself and you're jumping up and down in the stands or in the pub, hugging random stranger and yelling, goal! It's magical. I, of course, find joy in my family, in this amazing job and call, and ultimately, I find joy in my faith. Yet the question the doula asked me was, what hobbies gave me joy? It made me really think about the correlation of having fun, let's call it play, and joy. I have experienced delight and hope in those two examples, but delight and hope are theological terms. What if play, joy, and faith are actually connected in a beautiful, fun, and divine way? I know that we can find joy in the midst of hard times because of the promise that we have from God to redeem our story and the story of this world. Yet at times I believe that God's joy is fun. The joy can come from play. Now, my mother is one of the most joyous people I know. She told me one day as she was leaving work, walking to her car, she was walking with a coworker, and the coworker said, why are you always so happy? And without skipping a beat, she starts singing, because I have the love of Jesus in my heart and I'm so happy. Very on brand for my mother. <laughs> of course, she's referencing the Sunday school song that says, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? <laughs> you understood the assignment. Thank you. Now, my mom has joy because of the love of Christ, but she could have easily just said that. But in playful fashion, she sang it. I am convinced that play, joy, awe, and wonder, and faith are all connected. So let's go back to the New Testament passage that we just read. In the previous two chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus warns his disciples that he was going to suffer and die, and that following him would lead them to suffer as well. Then three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, they go up to a mountain with Jesus, and they see him transfigured. They see him hanging out with Elijah and Moses. And they can't believe what they see. And Jesus commands them to not say anything to anyone. But James and John are teenagers, and I can imagine them going back to the disciples and saying, yo, don't tell Bartholomew, but you wouldn't believe what we just saw. And then perhaps another disciple going to Bartholomew and saying, hey, I'm not supposed to be telling you this, but James and John and Peter saw Jesus transfigured. They're hanging out with Elijah and Moses, and we don't know what this means, but we know it's good. So they're on this incredible high and really wanting to believe that Jesus is this Messiah figure. And so the disciples asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Now, I don't completely blame them. We often do because we know the future of the story. But they have been hearing messages about the kingdom of God being near. So of course, in a society where their worth was measured by their status, they want to know the status for them in the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus summons a child to come over and says, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now some context. Children in that time had virtually no power, no status, no control over their lives. They were vulnerable to disease and hunger, and many died before they reached adulthood. Now, children were not ignored, unloved, or unappreciated, as some have claimed, but they were not the center of the world. So Jesus uses this child as an image to center people on the margins, people who were called insignificant and made them significant, and to empower the powerless. And Jesus says to his disciples, be like them. Jesus is essentially telling the disciples what rapper and storyteller Kendrick Lamar says, sit down, be humble. Judith Jones says this about the passage. In our culture, being humble typically implies not being boastful. And though one may have many accomplishments, not calling attention to them. Yet the humility that Jesus demands is something else entirely. Like the child in the disciples' myths, those who are humbled have few options and little power. They live at the mercy of other people's choices. They are the people whom Howard Thurman in his classic book, Jesus and the Disinherited, described as having their backs against the wall. Such humility is very opposite of the status and the power that the disciples crave. It's clear to me when I read the Gospels that Christ is consistently looking out for the oppressed and for those who have no status. And I agree with Judith Jones that humbling ourselves just as Christ did gives us the eyes to see the pain and the hurt of those on the margins. It gives us empathy. Yet I also think that it gives us the eyes to see the joy and awe that some of the marginalized have. We don't think they have it, but they do. Julia Shaw, one of our social workers here at our church, does this so well. She sees the clients and the neighbors who walk through these doors, not as people to merely help, but she looks people in the eye with human dignity. And one day I was in her office and she was showing me the artwork of some of the clients. Those who are watching online will actually see some of these images. And she says to me, isn't this amazing? She knows the hardships that people go through, but she also recognizes their joy as well. When I read this passage, I think about how easily children are in awe and wonder. I think about the joy that they experience. One of my favorite things to watch is watch little kids eat ice cream with such delight. I love how children get drawn into a story and they ask more questions and then put themselves in the story. So I can't help but wonder that Jesus is asking his disciples to humble themselves and become like children because he wants them to identify with those who have no status, to not only empathize with their pain, but to also experience awe and wonder and joy like they do as well. Children tend to be more willing to show their joy than most of us adults. And I wonder if we humbled ourselves, we might be more open to seeing awe and wonder in this world. Two weeks ago, I asked our Sunday school teachers, who is someone that you know really loves to draw in our Sunday school classes? 
and they all pointed to fifth grader Remy Wong. So I asked Remy, how would you feel about doing the bulletin cover next week? And I told her the prompt is simply, do, draw what you think about when you think about church. And last week she handed me the cover that you have in front of you. And the first thing I asked her jokingly was like, is that Jonah or me on the cover? <laughs> she shrugged her shoulders and said, I don't know. I actually love that. The person proclaiming the word can be any one of you. But I did want to know more about this masterpiece. And she said when she thinks about church, she obviously thinks about God. But since she does not know what God looks like, she drew Jesus. I think that's very theologically accurate. She then went on to tell me that here at church is where she learns most about God and how God is with us. I love this picture. I love how Christ is looking upon Christ's people with a smile and dwelling amongst us. There is joy in the picture and curiosity. There is awe and wonder. How can we adults humble ourselves like children and discover awe? I wonder what would happen if we played more. Yes, what if we were more playful? German theologian Jürgen Moltmann is known for his theology of hope, a theology rooted in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Moltmann sees liberation and freedom in the work of Christ, and then we get to actively participate in that liberation and freedom. In his book, The Theology of Play, he emphasizes how play, joy, and delight are all rooted in hope. Moltmann says, play foreshadows the joy of the end times when all manner of drudgery, disease, decay, and death will be left behind. Play is not a useless activity. For him, Play is a celebration of life to its fullest. Moltmann goes on to write that he believes that God did not create out of necessity, but that God created out of love, and that it was a joyful and playful creation. Now, I wasn't in the room when Remy was drawing this, but I imagine that she had a smile as she drew in color. I imagine her giggling when she decided to give the person on the bottom right blue hair. I like this image of God having fun as they created the world. So friends, I wonder what if we played more? What if we engaged in things that brought us life and called it play and rested in God's grace? Would we experience more awe and wonder? Now, in case you're not aware, Jamie Staley, our director of Christian education, has a podcast through the church called Crossroads. There are many excellent conversations there. But there's a especially good one with Ann Wilcox, an assistant professor of education at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. In this episode, they discuss the role of play in the work of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. She talks how, about how many people think that he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia with a specific agenda of writing allegorical Christian stories for kids. So she points us to this quote from him. Some people seem to think that I began by asking myself, how can I say something about Christianity to children? And then fixated on a fairy tale as an instrument, then collected information about child psychology and decided what age group I would write for, then drew up a list of basic Christian truths and hammered out allegories to embody them. That is pure moonshine, says C.S. Lewis. I couldn't write in that way at all. Everything began with an image, a fawn carrying an umbrella a queen on a sledge, a magnificent lion. 
At first, there wasn't even anything Christian about them. That element pushed itself out on its own accord. It was part of the bubbling. Professor Wilcox goes on to talk about how these beautiful stories literally began with him as a teenager thinking of these images and then wondering and asking questions like, what if? What if there was a magical land and Christ came as a lion and was real in that place? Imagine what kind of awe and wonder and joy God can reveal when we ask those what if questions and play it around. What if God was involved in sports? What if God was in board games? What if God was involved in playing mafia with the youth group? I remember asking my mother in middle school, what if there are aliens? Is Jesus with them too? Do you think the aliens are as flawed as we are? And did God come in alien form to that planet in a different universe as well? So many questions. So let's play a little bit. I'm going to ask you some questions and I'll give you a few seconds in between each question and play around with them in your head. What if Jesus, God incarnate, did not come 2,000 years ago, but came today? What might that person look like? Where are they from? What would the ragtag team of disciples look like in today's age? What do you think would be Jesus' favorite meal in your own city? In New York City, is it pizza? Bacon, egg, and cheese? Who is catching Jesus' attention? Who is angry at Jesus for speaking for the marginalized? How would Jesus react to the question of who is the greatest? few more questions. The same questions the doula asked me. What gives you joy? Or let's rephrase, how do you play? Have you grown out of playing? And if so, how can you rediscover it? My hope for you is that as you play, you discover more joy, that you discover more hope. No matter what age you are, I pray that you are moved with so much awe and wonder that you see the hope of Christ in your play. This forces us to sit down, to rest, to turn off work for a moment, to play in God's good news. C.S. Lewis dedicated the line, the witch in the wardrobe, to his goddaughter Lucy and dedicated it with these words. My dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you're already too old for fairy tales, and by the time it's printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can take it down from some upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. Friends, maybe it's time to take the fairy tales off the shelf or whatever brings you joy. And may you have fun playing. May you experience the light. May you experience the hope 
of Christ. Friends, may the peace of Christ go with you. May you play. May you have fun knowing that you are deeply loved. And through the grace of God, you are enough. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.